Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 512th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the Urban Farm in the heart of Phoenix, Arizona. Bill McDormand is the executive director of Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, a grassroots seed conservation nonprofit created to assure a diverse supply of local seeds through community-based seed stewardship. In 1984, he started Seeds Trust High Altitude Gardens, a bioregional mail-order seed company that he ran successfully for 28 years. Then in 2010, Bill and Bell founded Seed School an internationally recognized program with more than a thousand graduates from around the world. They've also gone on to create Grain School and Seed School Online. And I have some exciting, for those of you that are here live tonight, I've got some exciting information toward the end of this call about Seed School. We opened it again and I'll I'll have a, uh, a link for you to be able to go sign up if you're interested in doing Seed School Online. Welcome, Bill. So great to be here as always, Greg. It's an honor and a pleasure. My gosh, I think we're going on four four or five years doing these and I absolutely love them. It's so much fun to, to chat with you. And the really the big reason that we do these is because there's so much going on in seeds. And what I count on from you is that you keep us up to date on what's important. <laughs> Yeah, the seed world just seems like it's always changing. And so if you've listened to some of the past episodes, we've talked about, you know, the macro or global level of things. We were in Rome for an international treaty that's being negotiated between the wealthier and the poor nations of the world. And, and it just seemed like in these dark days of winter that it'd be kind of fun to talk about something that actually brings light and brightness to a lot of homes, American garden homes, and that's seed catalogs season, just when it gets the darkest and the coldest. The, our mailboxes fill up with dreams of next spring. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, Jung, J-U-N-G, sends me a catalog, and it just arrived today, yesterday or oh, today, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, good timing. You know, they say when we had sent our catalogs, I did quite a bit of research, and if you could get it out before Thanksgiving, that was better, but in between Thanksgiving and Christmas was essential. 
you know, so this is the time when they all start arriving. And so if, if you're thinking about getting a catalog, that's probably the time when they're, most of the ones are being at least mailed to people. Mm-hmm. And something, you know, we discovered at, at Seeds Trust High Altitude Gardens was that if for some reason our catalog got delayed and it hit a period, there's a, a, a sort of a, a mailing blackout period mm-hmm. for bulk mail. Mm-hmm. That happens the last couple of weeks of December or the last couple of weeks before Christmas. Yeah. And the way it was explained to me is like this, is that when it gets really, really busy, they have a priority for the mail that they handle first each day. I mean, every post office gets overwhelmed and they just can't do it all every day. So what they do is set aside the bulk mail, they literally on pallets to the side of the thing. And as soon as they get all the first class mail, you know, done, then they'd go work on the bulk mail, which is, you know, cost less to mail. And sometimes that takes two or three weeks before they get back around to bulk mail. Yeah. And if you're in the catalog business and you miss three weeks of sales, those early season sales, that could be what you put in your pocket for profit for the year. So it's really important to get the catalog out early if if anybody's interested in that sort of stuff. So nice. So catalogs. I don't have all right guys out I know you're there's a bunch of you out there. Please, you know, slide us over your favorite catalog so we can talk about what that might be. Bill asked me before we started going live tonight, he said, what's your favorite catalog? And I, you know, I thought about it for a little while and I think because and I called it the Sears catalog of seeds and that's Baker Creek. That thing is like phone book size, is it not, Bill? Oh, yeah. Well, it just depends. They do many of them now. You know, I oh, see a big book, yeah, that they charge $5 for, mm-hmm. you know, at grocery stores. You see it on the counter with magazines and stuff. Yep. And then they, then they, I've seen a, a big tabloid-sized one, you know, from time to time. And then, so, yeah, I, you know, I'm actually not on their list this year, so I don't know what they're mailing mm. out to, you know, regular mail order home gardener. So maybe somebody out there knows and they can help fill that in for us tonight. But yeah, you're right. It's just an awe-inspiring display of diversity. Yeah. And that's what we're all about. It's Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, especially is diversity. That's our hedge against any kind of nightmarish future, whichever version you subscribe to. The more diversity we have in our food system, the better off we have a chance to have some of it, not just survive, but thrive. Yeah. And so that I'm all I'm a junkie for diversity. I always like to look through and find new things. And I don't think that there's a problem with doing that ever. I th- we have so little diversity in our communities, especially in the Mountain West, that maybe that's the best job we can do in our lifetimes is bringing in as much new things as possible and trying them and seeing if they worked. And certainly I did that for 28 years at High Altitude Gardens. I lived, I grew up at 6,000 feet in the mountains of Idaho and a lot of stuff does not work there, you know, but there was a lot of stuff that did and we found it by trying it. And it was so exciting to bring in new things from all over the world and to have stories and colors and flavors that people had never really considered or seen. And so mm-hmm. that's the real fun of this. I, yeah. yeah. Well, and an important piece is though, you get the seeds, you plant the seeds, let them go to seed so you can save the seeds. That's really the bottom line, right? Well, yeah. You know, the stuff that doesn't work, doesn't work, but the stuff that does, yes, you're right. It's been selected for your particular condition. So you've already done some really great breeding work just by having it there for a year. And if you can pass those seeds on and you're 
local seed exchange or local seed library or talk about them in your master gardener class so other people know that it works there. Mm-hmm. And really, that's how we can repopulate the diversity in our communities. And, and you know, it's done naturally. If you hit a home run with a tomato or it's the earliest you've ever seen or it's just like mind-boggling flavor, you're going to tell everybody about it. And that's, you know, all, that's how things have been passed around always. Yeah. And, and seeds that are really good get passed around really fast. It's really fun to see that. Yeah. So Catherine, thanks for uh, shouting out to us, Catherine. She says, hey, I order from Southern Exposure, Seed Savers, Baker Creek, and a local farm here in Mission called Nature and Nurture. How cool is that? I'm working on seed saving, and each company has open-pollinated and heirloom seeds. That's what's important to me. I was going to say, can you speak to what open-pollinated and heirloom means for those of our listeners that may not know? Well, that is our modern way of saying it's not a hybrid. And because of that, it's probably not genetically modified. So this is what we that want to grow and save our own seeds easily reach for first, usually as uh, as gardeners, is open pollinated or non-hybrid seed. And if an open pollinated variety has been around for a while and it's become a tr- a, a real treasure somewhere, Usually they're adapted to a local area. Some of them have stories that go back to the founding of our nation and before. And those lots of times we'll call heirlooms and because they're treasures. And so that's the, the sort of the, the basic definition of both of those things. And, you know, if you come to one of our seed schools, we can get, we get way more technical about it, but that's enough for people to know if you're getting, especially if you're just getting started saving your own seed, it's really great to start with those varieties. And frankly, you know, 9,850 years, I'm just rounding off, of human agriculture on the planet dealt exclusively in open pollinated non-hybrid seeds, non-hybrid in the modern sense. So Mm -hmm. we know this stuff works because that's all we had forever. And and, uh, there's some, it created the food system that we have out of wild plants. And it's really fun to uh, take these gifts that many of them that have taken generations to create some of these varieties and distinctive, you know, flavors and colors and sizes and and stuff like that. And so they're really gifts that have been given to us. And it's for me, it's really fun to think that I'm giving back a bit when I pick up one of those gifts by actually saving seeds from it and passing them around and keeping these these treasures alive. <laughs> nice. Steve from Casper, Wyoming says, just wanted to put it out there, his favorite seed catalog is Baker Creek heirloom seeds, especially the whole seed catalog. I think that's what I got this year and that was pretty big. Yeah, that's it. The whole seed catalog. That's the one you have to buy usually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I've ordered seeds from them. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they just sent it to the big one to me. It is, it's, he says, it's so packed with unique varieties. Plus they fight GMOs and patenting. We should talk about that. Yes. For those of you listening, we're about to roll out a national campaign about patented seeds. So thank really? you for saying that. <laughs> well, tell us, what it, tell us what that's about. You know, the United States has an oversized influence on people around the world as far as food production. Um, Mm -hmm. Our seed companies and multinationals, now they're not even American companies, right? Um, Monsanto sold the Bear, Mm -hmm. which is a German company, and and Syngenta sold to ChemChina, which is about 80% of the vegetable seeds sold in the United States. So they're owned by a Chinese company. So they're not even American anymore, but they came, they were... American multinationals and patenting is how they protect 
their intellectual property. That's their story. And they're taking these ideas around the world and actually requiring other companies or other countries, farmers, smallholder farmers in other countries to, you know, begin to think about not saving their own seeds for the first time because it will violate trade agreements or contracts that the companies yeah. have come up with. And it's all about the, they claim ownership of the seeds, which, you know, I, I, I swear to even a third grader is a ludicrous idea. It really How can is. You take something. To, uh, 10,000 years of human, you know, ritual to create. And then you change it a little and call it yours and you own it now. And so we're seed savers. I'm part of a seed saving organization and utility patents, especially for the first time, make seed saving completely illegal. There's no exemption for you to even save your own seeds, let alone pass them around or sell them. In some cases, you're not even allowed to let the seed, the plant go to seed officially. And so um, that's sort of the foundation. I don't want to, we'll do another show about patented seeds again. And so we can get into the whole history of it and, and kind of how it's evolving. But, you know, if you want to grow and save seeds and you think that's really important, then you should be a bat, be, or at least question seriously patented seeds. And something I heard over and over when I was in Rome lately was that basically, like, you know, these larger companies and the governments that support this idea believe, and I really think they believe this, is that in order to have innovation, there has to be intellectual property protection. I heard that over and over. In other words, they have to own these things in order to create new varieties. And again, if you know the history at all, on the face of it, that's just totally ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, humans without owning seeds and freely passing them around created broccoli. We created cauliflower. We created zucchini. We created spinach and all of these things out of wild plants. I mean, that's innovation, you know? And yeah. so they're talking about really fine levels of innovation for things that are good for industrial agriculture. And so there's a real context to what they're saying, but it's not being applied in a context. It's being said as a universal, and that just bothers me. <laughs> it's just right. a misunderstanding. They, they just need to be educated a little. And so we're going to start a national campaign to try to do that. So, And we're going to join 80 others. I think I heard that there were 80, what they call in Europe, CSOs, um, civil society organizations. It's an equivalent of our nonprofits. 80 organizations have come together to start a campaign in Europe called uh, No Patents on Seeds. And so really? we're just going to, yeah. And so we're just going to get a U.S. version of that started in a sense. We're going to, it'll be ours and we're trying to bring together a steering committee of some people that are, that have been involved for quite a while that have a good track record and young people mm -hmm. and especially indigenous people. I mean, if you have any sensitivity to the cultural awakening that's happening now, racial and sexual and especially cultural around indigenous peoples, mm -hmm. I mean, how can you say that seeds can be owned? I mean, that's just kind of, yeah, yeah. I just don't understand that part. So it'll be really interesting. I think, thank you again for bringing this up and support the catalogs that say that they feel the same way because there are seed catalogs. Seed catalogs, U.S. seed catalogs, very popular ones that sell primarily certified organic seeds that are now being populated with utility patented seeds. And to me, that's just shocking. I, just, I still don't know how to understand that. Organic. We, I was involved with the start of the whole organic movement. We started it so we could do the right thing. We want to take care of the soil. We don't want 
chemicals, you know? We want to uh, leave the place that we're growing food better than we found it, right? That's what organic means. And so in order to do that, you have to grow and save your own seeds. You have to adapt, bring in new diversity, and save the seeds from the things that work right where you are. And for the first time, you can buy certified organic seeds that you can't, you're not supposed to save. They have utility patents on them, the most restrictive intellectual property ever invented for plants, right here in our own U.S. seed catalog, our organic seed catalog. You can hear, I'm getting off on a tangent. I know. Anyway, (laughs) that's all part of the catalog thing these days. So look in a catalog and make sure. And if a company doesn't, if it's clear in your catalog, um, ask them. Write to them, email them, get to their customer service, call them and ask them and tell them how you feel about it. That's what I've been doing. Well, and so you've mentioned certified organic seeds a couple of times in the past five minutes. If we're going to grow out and save seeds, does it matter if they're certified organic when we get them? Well, I love certified organic seeds. Because I know that there's been a lot of work put into to not using chemicals in their growth uh-huh. and that people are. The, the organic standards are set up so that people do take care of their farms and they understand some of the biodiversity around them. So the whole system is better. However, there is a problem, I think, with organic seeds. And that is when you make it your primary reason for buying seeds. I'm only going to buy certified organic seeds. And when I was a small seed company, I used to get that. And people would actually hang up on the phone. they say, are all your seeds certified organic? And, and at Seeds Trust High Altitude Gardens, they never were. All. I, wherever and whenever we could, that's what we did. And everything we grew ourselves, we did. However, there's a lot of diversity out there from a lot of varieties from around mm-hmm. the world and from generations past that has never been certified. It just hasn't. Right. And now we're getting a whole generation of young people, especially in farmers, who have found organic certification to be a bureaucratic nightmare. <laughs> right. And, and they call themselves beyond organic. They're taking care of their farms better than that. They just don't do the paperwork. And so, you know, my primary value has always been diversity. That's what I was talking about Baker Creek. I love bringing new things in. And I think what we should all do is grow, as you said, Greg, grow and save your own seeds. That's the whole point. And do that organically. And let's bring all the diversity of the world into an organic system. Don't give up diversity just because it's not organic. Because we want to live to, you know, we're going to make it through to the next generation where we have enough diversity to make it. We want it all to be organic and we want to have all this diversity. But if we only go for organic now, there's only, my guess is that there's only three or 4% of the varieties, the actual right. varieties of seeds offered to American gardeners are certified organic. Right, exactly. So you're throwing away 97% of the diversity that you could have access to. Which is counter to everything we're trying to do. It's just counter. It's not to everything, but it's counter. Yeah. You know, it may, it took me a long time to figure this out. The organic seed movement is a beautiful movement and I so, so support it and the organic seed alliance and what they're doing and their education and all of it's good. And it just took me a while to realize that, that what we're, I've been a part of my whole life is the diversity seed movement. And that's not the same. The, there are two circles. It's like, you know, draw a Venn diagram. The two circles, as far as I'm concerned, almost completely overlap. Almost everybody I know that's into diversity is also into organics in the end. And, and the Organic Seed Alliance is some, have some of the best written materials about the destruction of diversity because of the centralization of agriculture. Kiki Hubbard's done a great job writing about this. 
And so, you know, we're almost the same circles, but we're not exactly the same. There's a place where the organic seed movement sees organic seeds as the highest value. And I certainly see diversity as the highest value. And so given a choice between those, you know, there's a little place where those two circles don't meet. You're going to have to choose. And that's just something you're going to have to do with modern catalogs. Just search out your favorites and try them out. So Deb from Durango says, I love Fedco seeds. They are really affordable and they have a code from one to six for what type of growers provide the seed. Smaller grower, I'm assuming, is one and bigger corporations is six. So she says, I avoid the category five and six. Also, they flag open seed source and they explain a lot about the issue of seed patenting. What is open seed source? Well, Aussie, the Open Seed Source Initiative was started a few years ago, and Jack Kloppenberg from the University of Wisconsin-Madison is one of the principals. I don't know whose idea it was originally, but Jack wrote a really great book. If you kind of want some background on the political economy of what happened to seeds in the last 80 years and why we ended up in this mess, industrial mess, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful things happening too, but um, Jack wrote a book called First the Seed. And so Aussie, as they call it, Open Source Seed Initiative was an attempt to use some of the language and ideas that have been developed in the software industry by people who don't want all the software owned, right? So there's open source software. Mm. And in the beginning, it was poo-pooed. You're not a corporation. There can be no real innovation. You're not organized Mm -hmm. enough to do good software. Well, Mm -hmm. guess what? You know, 80% of the servers that run the internet run on open source software. It turned right. out that big pools of people got together and they could outright, you know, code from the corporations, you know, up one side and down the other. I mean, when you unleash community, you know, creativity together for a common cause, watch out. He's so right. the idea was to get some of that into the seed movement. And it's been a long, you know, it's it's really been hard and legal because it comes down to around a question. If something is open, if it's if they declare it and there's, you can go to the Open Source Seed Initiative website and they have a place where you can register new varieties that you have bred. So instead of patenting it, you can get a Aussie stamp put on it. And what that means, like uh, open source software, is that anybody's free to use it unless they're not free to use it to create a variety that they patent, right? That all the material in this open source, you know, open pollinated variety, or even it's, it's a, there, there are hybrids being released in it, can't be used to be patented ever. It's sort of uh, the idea is to protect it. Now, in the end, is that legally binding? There's a lot of questions. Nobody ever knows. And when you're going up against some of the world's largest corporations and their legal teams, I believe I'm speaking correctly in that that's never been tested. But in the meantime, there's a couple hundred, there's more than 200 seed breeders now are realizing that it's better to release something into Aussie because somebody might take your variety and make it a little bit better. And then um, somebody else can take it and make it a little bit better. And then somebody can take it down to Florida and adapt it. And it'll be a little bit different down there. And that's the fruit of your work is that you're helping the world with your variety. And those of us that have been around a long time, that's a higher value now. We're seeing that in our lives. That's what we really want to do with our lives is help. 
we don't want to own anything. It's just going to be kind of silly. I've always thought to to own and control your own little empire while the whole world around you goes down. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. So Aussie's a really great thing. Fedco is really a great seed company. Forest Lawn started Fedco years ago as a a, a really ethically locally based source for seeds in the northeast. And I used to buy a lot of seeds from them. I still like to go in and look at them. They've been very good at learning how to contract really small growers. I like the fact that they differentiate. You know, as Joy Hout from Native Seed Search once said, when you choose a variety, when you log in to a website or you open that catalog and you actually order a new variety, you are uh, hooking yourself into a, a whole agricultural system. Every cultivar you choose is part and parcel of a whole agricultural system. And fortunately or unfortunately, in many of America's seed catalogs, especially some of the larger ones, even though you're buying them from great people and you love them and they're somewhat local, many of the seeds actually, folks, are grown by large companies or those fives and sixes that they just talked about that are in the Fedco. And those aren't necessarily regionally adapted. And lots of times you don't know where those seeds are coming from, as I've talked about on this program before. And so just be aware. I like this idea of of differentiating so that you can hook into all your values, all your money, everything's going in to supporting a smaller system that can actually help us create and keep more diversity alive. So I like that idea. Thank you for that. Absolutely. So that website for the Open Source Seed Initiative is osseeds.org. They are going to be involved in our patented free seed campaign nationally. Cool. They're sort of the same. They're sort of the same. You know, they're covering one wing of this. You know, what you have to realize is that you know this open source seed label applies to new varieties that are being bred. That doesn't keep in the open. You know, keep as open source or in the public domain all the other stuff that's out there around the world that could be taken and used to create new, even genetically modified varieties. And so that problem we still have to solve. And so the first step in that is making sure that none of us that, well, I'm not going to say I'm never going to buy a patented seed again. I can't say that because there are good people and there's certified organic ones and things are going on. But what our campaign is going to do is make sure that everybody knows what those are, that there's an open honesty and transparency about this. Because right now, frankly, they're being shoved into catalogs and uh, not always marked, not always marked correctly. Mm-hmm. And people are buying them without knowing that they're patented. And that's not good for the seed-saving movement. Here's my question Go on ahead. that, though. This is really important. If they're not telling us, doesn't it become their responsibility? Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. So and then, that's kind of why there's a, a laziness almost around this in uh, organizations and catalogs. They say, oh, well, they'll never be able to enforce this. you know. And it's really kind of a strange thing everybody up to this point it's just now awakening and some catalogs are starting to have uh, real arguments i just heard at high mowing did high mowing seeds has utility patented seeds in their catalog and for the first time they they they're marked in their catalog 
this year. Wow. They decided to be transparent about it, which was huge for them. And so I just met one of their representatives at a conference I was at, and I was really happy to hear that. I, you know, we uh, we walked around high mowing, not this past summer, but the summer before when we did a seed school at Sterling College in Vermont. And they're not too far away. And I was really impressed with the work that Tom Stearns and his crew is doing. And however, they're part of this certified organic utility patented seed movement. And that's okay. I'm still going to order from High Mowing. I'm just not going to buy any patented seeds. But now I can see it in their catalog. And I really appreciate that. So again, there are other catalogs out there that aren't clearly or plainly marked. And none of them I know so far will send me a list. I just want a list of all your utility patented seeds. I, th- I think that they should be able to provide that. And we need that in Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance for our seed librarian. We have 82 seed libraries in our directories that our members can get access to. And if patented seeds end up in seed library, that's a no-no. doesn't matter if they could, if somebody's responsible or if they can't enforce it down line. The reason that seed libraries are allowed to remain open, at least on a national perspective by the American Association of Seed Control Officials. They went through a year with us. There was a committee assigned after a seed library was shut down because it didn't have a commercial seed dealer's license. And we were saying, like, seed libraries aren't commercial seed dealers. And they're saying, yeah, but seeds go out. And so that's what the license was for, is to protect everybody, you know, from getting bad seed. And so after a year, there was an agreement reached where they said, okay, we'll agree. Seed libraries and seed exchanges are not commercial entities. They do not have to get a license. They do not have to confirm conform to our commercial rules for seeds, for the seed trade. Wow, that's good. However, they only placed one condition on it, and that can well two conditions: no noxious weeds seeds in these libraries, and mm-hmm. no patented seed. And so, I, you know, that's a whole nother level of argument. And so that's why we need lists. We need this open, honest, and transparent, I think, at this point. And we need to realize as seed savers that, uh, you know, why bother with it? We're seed savers. There's 99.99% of the stuff doesn't have utility patented, patents yet. And we're waking up. We're not just going to let our catalogs be filled with those things. We're going to make choices now. You know, we're going to support the people that support us, that support, you know, being here for a long time. And the whole idea that you can own these things is wrong. That's my opinion. Oh. And in fact, and I'm not the only one, I was happy to learn in Europe that as we sit right now, there's a court case, of course, that Monsanto is trying to ch- challenge this in Europe in the European Patent Office. But right now in Europe, you cannot patent seeds from a variety that was created using biological processes. That's how they say it. What that means is that they're only going to allow patenting for genetically modified seeds, which makes sense. It's a new invention. Utility patents were originally, you know, thought of and and have been used up to this point on new inventions. And so how can you just move things around in nature and call it your invention? That's what they're saying in Europe. And that's the kind of language that we're going to use in our campaign. Nice. So I want to address the elephant in the room. And ooh, yeah, Stephanie from San Luis shot over a question about this. and, uh, And I'll just read you the question the way it sits. 
after, actually, I want to, yeah, let me read the question first. Then I have some data for you, and then I'll ask us to address the question, okay? So Stephanie's question is, if you participate in a seed exchange and accidentally swap or receive patented seeds, how do the seed companies discover that the seed has been saved or exchanged? So before we answer that question, here's what I know about copyrights. If I put a copyright on a document, on a book, on a low, if I trademark a logo, you know, if, if I do something like that. So this would correlate to if I patented a seed, which I wouldn't do, but if I patented a seed or if I wrote a book and copy wrote it in the copyright law, it's my responsibility as the author of that book to go out and really enforce the law on someone that is using pieces of my book. So it becomes my responsibility to go hold them accountable. So back to her question, and that is, how do seed companies discover that the seeds have been saved and exchanged, sort of doing genetic testing on all these seeds in the seed, you know, and wherever they're at? Right. Good question. They're, you know, the the realistic answer is now they're probably never going to. Yeah. But so that so before you yeah. go to the but though that leaves a whole big yeah. gaping hole of it doesn't matter then if they patent them. Well, it just it, there are it does matter in a few places. So and that's what we're trying to address nationally. But it's a great question. Yeah. Right. You know, on the ground. You know, maybe that's what they meant when they said the meek will inherit the earth. <laughs> yeah. I in Rome I heard a, I heard about smallholder farmers they call them in, in one of the African countries mm-hmm. that have started a whole underground market of what they call protected seeds. These are seeds that have been utility patented that are being brought down there by Monsanto and others. Some are genetically modified corns, others aren't, but they're all utility patented. And these guys have just ripped it blind. They just there's nobody around after, you know, and they're way out anyway. And there's thousands of them and they've just set up their own markets around their own seed. They just save the seeds from them. And with corn, that's kind of hard if it's a hybrid for the first couple of years. But if you just keep selection, but within three years, they've got a variety that works. At least it works for them and they don't have to buy seeds anymore. And so that actually is what is happening. I know Vanda Nashiva's got lots of stories about how that's actually how they defeated patented rice, land rates rice varieties in India as they would actually on purpose pass around the, a patented variety to 10,000 farmers oh my and God. then try to get them to all, with postcards and get them all to mail them in to Monsanto saying, hey, thanks, I'm growing your variety. I love it. And we're going to give it out to everybody we know. And they got thousands of postcards and realized they, they couldn't enforce it anymore. And so right. the story I heard was they, they dropped that patent. They just said, why even try? And so those are examples of on the ground that that's starting to happen. It does matter in that if we just all go to sleep and allow, you know, in one of my favorite catalogs, 23% of the lettuces, you know, three years ago were utility patented. And then the next year, there were 42% of them were utility patented. And so what happens when that becomes 60%, 80%? And we're just all getting used to this. Even the organic seed movement is used to patented seeds all around us. Well, there's two effects. One is that that could be used against seed libraries. When they, you know, there's 600 of them now. What happens when there's 6,000 of them? What happens if they keep getting large, like the one in Pima County in, in Arizona that now has, what did they tell me, 11 branches? You know, with interlibrary loan, and they they crossed a threshold. 50,000 packets of seeds were checked out of the library, you know, for free. 
And then people check them in over half the seats now are being checked back in, in this beautiful, new, diverse system that's creating a public space for seats again. What happens if that happens and it's actually starting to hurt commercial seat sales? And then, but um. Seed library. I can see the headline. Seed library packed full of illegal patented seeds stolen from seed companies. I mean, even the headline. But how they gonna, yeah, but how are they going to prove it? Genetic test. It's easy. Once there's a large enough case that they can test, they will. That's how they got Percy Smizer. You know, that's, I mean, the gene, most all modern hybrids even have markers in them, genetic markers, unique segments of DNA that they that they know that are in there, that mark that it's their material. And in fact, a utility patent something, it's almost required. That's a, in order to, uh, to get a utility patent, it has to be a distinct, uniform and stable. That's language from the WTO. So here's the other effect. And this is really close to me. And and Leanne Hill, who's our program director at Rocky Mountain Seed Lions, and I were just talking about this. I mean, we were deeply and emotionally moved by being around representatives of the world's smallholder farmers. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 55 million of them in India. Some of the African countries have 30 million of them. And what's happening is this the same industrial food system is is starting to invade those countries, uh, first through the WTO. Those countries are waking up. People have cell phones now. They're starting to manufacture things. They want to trade. They want a piece of the world pie. And there's an agreement, the TRIPS agreement, that's part of the WTO that says they cannot be part of the world trade unless they adhere to and recognize intellectual property for the inventions that come from the countries that are happening. So these countries are being pulled into, you know, proprietary or protected seeds. Now, even though, even in the WTO and the small down in the fine print, is this thing that says no matter what the laws are, a farmer has the farmer's exemption, the one they've had for 10,000 years. Every farmer can grow and save its own seeds. And even though that's in the WTO agreement, 60% of these countries that have come online recently, and of, of the 55 countries in Africa, they adhere to utility patenting. Wow. Either through contracts or being buffaloed or being told they mm-hmm. don't have an exemption or whatever it is. So these countries are looking at the U.S. as like, where did all this language and all this control come from? And now we're growing up a beautiful new movement of people that are going to grow and save our own seeds. And, and they ask us about it and we go, oh, we don't care about patented seeds. Well, they do. And it is being used against them. Well, and and they that's could, just somebody could step yeah, in. Ahead. Somebody could step in and patent their seeds, right? Yes, that's happening. Yeah. So um, yeah, the we, whole I, idea, what we want, what we want to, if we're a seed saver, we want to, I, we want to defeat the whole idea of yeah. owning seeds because every time you come up with that, that restricts the movement of them, and that's what we're advocates of. So I got, and other groups are advocating other parts of it, but, but, you know, we want to stay as pure and as close to it as we can, as our 80 other friends in Europe are doing now. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got uh, one thing for you. I, I just want to read it. And then we've got some questions that we have to take. Um, by the way, we've been okay. going, we've Good. been going for 45 minutes. So I'm going to want your questions to be, Concise, but so I typed into Google while you were talking. I typed into Google, how much does it cost for a seed patent? 
And I landed on a website called upcouncil.com, and the page is forward slash plant hyphen patent. And I'm just going to read this. Oh, wow. The cost of obtaining a PVP or breeder's rights protection varies. In the U.S., the costs are around $1,000 to $2,000 per plant for a term of 18 years. 25 years for trees and vines. If you are seeking protection outside of the U.S., you can expect to pay a minimum of $7,700. Fees are at a minimum of, so this is a breakdown, uh, maybe not. It says right. fees are a breakdown of 5150 The amount includes 4382 for application examination and certificate, 768 for certification, and attorney's fees of $3,000. It's not cheap to patent the seed. Right. And now, I, the, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to make a distinction because PVP um, stands for Plant Variety Protection. And it's actually, it was called patenting when it first came about, but it's not the U.S. Patent and Trade Office. It's not a utility patent, which is an invention, you know, whether it's a piece of software or a new car or a toothbrush or whatever. That's U.S. Patent and Trade Office, and those are patents, and those are actually even more expensive than that. What you were referring to is plant variety protection, and you can get, you can tie up sales of seeds from your variety for 18 years by applying for a PVP. But there's one really important distinction. And you will see now, if you go to high mowing, you know, and in Johnny's catalog, I see it also, you will see PVP on, on some varieties and you will see utility patent granted on other varieties. And the difference is that PVPs allow a farmer's exemption. You can always save your own seeds. You can't save enough to sell them. If you go selling seeds or sharing them even, if you look at the fine point in the law, then you've got to make a deal with the person that owns you know, the protection. But you can grow and save and adapt your own seeds forever with a PVP. That was written into the original laws in 1970. Wow. And, and that's because Congress would never stand for taking that farmer's exemption away from farmers. They've always had that. Utility patents came about because of a court case, a Supreme Court case. It's never been legislated. And so that's part of the problem that they they brought into it. But I just wanted to point that out. If you want a utility patent to plant, you're into the U.S. Patent and Trade Office, and I've been told it can cost six figures easily to wow. try to get that done. Well, there you go. So questions. Let's get to a few of these questions real quick. Kiersey from Elizabeth. I don't know what state that's in. Which seed companies are best sources for heirloom grain seeds, both common and rare? <laughs> you know, they're far and few between still. I know that Zedco is, has been expanding their selection. I haven't looked. If I were just looking out and around today, I would look at one of my favorite places, has always been to look at a place called Sustainable Seeds, and they're in California. Mm -hmm. Farmer John's there. He's a, a small grain grower. Here's the problem, is that we're reinventing a new scale of grain production. Not reinvent. We're just going back to the one we had probably mm -hmm. a couple of generations, which was small, even small garden-sized grain you know, plots and then small fields. 
or market garden sizes. And really, that's how grain was grown until the industrial era. And so we that that is just awakening. And so lots of times what I've found is that there are organizations like the Maine Grain Alliance. You know, you could check with the Bread Lab in Washington to find sources. And then a Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, because of this problem, we have been looking for stuff that works in the Mountain West, either stuff that worked here before. We've got like the 1939 USDA classification of wheat varieties. And we found out which wheats grew in Wyoming and Utah and Montana and Colorado and Arizona. And we saw which ones were most successful then. And then we tried to find the seeds to those varieties. And then we've been getting seeds through other growers that have been trying stuff, hobbyists like uh, John Shirk, um, that have been trying grains from around the world. And we've got, I think, 285 of them now that you can have access to through the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance um, Heritage Grain Trials Program. And we've got a directory now of 105 other people that have signed up for this program that are trying these grains in different parts of the country. And you can see, you know, we can clue you into who's tried what where of the emmers, the spelts, the einkorns, the Tibetan purple barleys, you know, and where they've worked. And so we can try to get you up and running around some of this stuff. Only small amounts in the beginning, but boy, they scale up fast. You can take, you know, five grams of seeds and get a pound in one year. And with that pound, you can get 50 pounds, 20 to 50 the next year. And after that, you're off and running. And so since these grains aren't available in the kinds of quantities, especially that small farmers want, that's our goal as a nonprofit, is to get as many people to try as many things as many places so we know what works, and then to increase the seeds for us, and then return, you know, half as much as, or at least as much as we sent them. We like people to send us twice as much back. That's that's the way we can grow this whole system. So that's one of the places to look also. Yeah, perfect. So Viola from Phoenix says, I'm in seed school. Thanks for being in seed school, Viola. Learning so much, uh, my extent of seed savings was to let Mother Nature do it. The challenge to pick a plant from seed school, I was thinking peppers. I have a beautiful black sweet pepper that doesn't have much flavor. So I was thinking about crossing it with a sweet red. Do they easily cross? Yes, in a, a genetic sense. It is rather interesting to try to hand pollinate peppers. So, But there's a lot on the internet now. I'll just keep the answer short. The best tool I've ever seen for doing this is a jeweler's mask. You know, oh, one yes. of those sort of headsets that blow everything up to like 20, 20X so that you can wear like a, a, a watchmaker would use. That helps. It's just because they're small. But yes, you can do this. Another way of doing it is planting a 100-foot row of peppers or however long a row you can do in your own yard and just mixing them up. Oh, yeah. Plant one red one, black one, red one, black one, red one, black one, because they will cross-pollinate a small percentage, depending on where you live, and just save all those seeds and plant them all out again. Take a, a representative sample of that, plant them all out, and start looking and seeing if you see anything that's either red or black and good taste or whatever, you know, and you could start the adventure that way. Cool. I want to just review. I know that there's some other questions here, but they're, they're very, there's a lot of data here and I, I, we don't have time to jump into them. So I apologize for, for the people that we didn't get to. I, I do want to repeat the seed catalogs that we've talked about tonight. And so help me remember, we talked about Fedco, 
We talked about Seed Savers Exchange. We talked about Baker Creek. We talked about Jung, J-U-N-G. What else did we talk about? I would I, I just want to throw one in before I forget about it. I think the epitome or where I hope the whole catalog world is going is, is Siskiyou Seeds, Don Tipping in oh, Williams, yeah. Oregon especially because he has a coding system in his catalog that tells you that you can search back to the exact grower of the seeds. So for us as seed savers and and trying to adapt things, you know, when we live in our fringe climates, it's really important to know where the seeds were actually grown. Yeah. Think about that. And that's something you should ask in every catalog that you get. I want to know who grew this. Why why should that be such a mystery? You know, there's a lot of seeds that are being grown in industrial settings that make it into our better catalogs. And I, and if that's the case, I want to know that. Thank you, Fedco, for doing that part. But Don even takes one step further. And he's got, you can figure out exactly where your seeds came from. So. Wow. That, well, that's cool. And, you know, we're definitely making it more transparent. It, one, the last question, uh, and then we're going to jump off here. Deb from Durango says, are there any small seed companies with a focus on open pollinated heirloom seeds for the Southwest? Yeah, let me just see. I'm going to make sure that I get it right. I brought up what, one of the things you can do is that we have 54 small seed companies have signed up on the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, RockyMountainSeeds.org website. Under resources, there um, you can go down to seed businesses and there's a search directory. And if you'll just search for, and they'll all come up on a list and it gives you uh, the names of small companies that are, uh, and where they are. And not all of them are in the Southwest, but let me give you the names of a couple of the ones that I'm, that I'm really uh, interested in. I, but I have not dealt with them since I've been on the road and teaching lately. But as soon as I get a chance, I'm going to order from both. Um, High Desert Seed is in Montrose, Colorado, highdesertseed.com. And uh, probably one of the most colorful new additions to the whole thing is Grand Prismatic Seed in Salt Lake City, and that's grandprismaticseed.com. Now, that, these and are all listed are on uh, Rocky Mountain Seed. On the directory, right? yeah. Yeah, so jump right. in there and, and get your data, get your get your connections you know, there. You know, there's, I see others, High Ground Gardens in... Uh, Crestone, Colorado, I think is what I saw. One of my other mm-hmm. favorite places are, is uh, Joseph's Garden Land Race Seed List, Joseph Lofthouse uh, in Paradise, Utah. You know, that's southwesty. Miss Penn's Mountain Seeds. She's oh, yeah, at she's been on the podcast. Yeah, she's at 8,000 feet in the wet mountains of south-central Colorado. You know, so here you go. There's a lot here. I see a painted desert seed company in Tolleson, Arizona now. You know, these we're talking real time. Yeah. You know, the every time I look at this list, there's more. So, you know, hey. that's what's so great about this directory is you can connect with people directly. Or if you've just started your own little operation, you can put it on here and people can find you. And that's really what, you know, that's the networking that we try to do at Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. So. Yeah. Cool. So I, I want to talk about Seed School Online really quick. We've put together a bundle called Never Buy Seeds, and you can find it at neverbuyseeds.com. There's a there's an amazing if if you do nothing else, go to neverbuyseeds.com and watch the video 
that Bill and I shot. It was it's Bill in the video. I was behind the camera, and uh, this was probably three years ago in the summer. And I just said, Bill, start talking about why it's important to save seeds. And this was just as a monsoon rain was coming in. So definitely watch that video. It's like a seven minute video. I say it was brilliant. But if you go to neverbuyseeds.com, this is we opened it up this week. It closes, the seed class closes, I think, on Thursday morning. But the really cool thing, you get Seed School online, but the other really cool thing is we put together this amazing, amazing bundle of seeds. This is a like a $500 value seed bundle that we've included in Seed School in NeverBuySeeds.com, at NeverBuySeeds.com. So tell us, give me one minute, Bill. We've been on the phone for an hour, believe it or not. Give me one minute on Seed School online and why it's important. You know, if we're going to make it, this is, my, you know, I've got my own dark side, I guess. I deserve that. I came through the Vietnam War, you know, so I get to talk about the world the way I want now. I've lived through a lot, a lot of different presidents, a lot of different stuff going on. And so I think that we're all going to be challenged, that our food system especially, I think the climate conference just said that again, is that it may be as little as 10 years before we have major disruptions in our food system. So mm-hmm. if we're going to do that, we need to have our own food systems. People all over the world are shortening supply line. That means local food. And we've got local food systems everywhere. They're starting to sprout up. It's really a beautiful. That's happened in the last 20 years. What we don't have yet are local seeds, locally adapted seeds everywhere. And so we need to do that well. That means diversity, as much diversity as we can get. We will get more diversity if we have more people doing it, millions more doing it. We have Mm -hmm. maybe 150 million gardeners in this country. And so let's get everybody growing and saving seeds again the way we did in this beautiful country two or three generations ago. And so, and if we're going to do that, we need to educate people how to do it. First of all, charge them up and, and show them the history and how beautiful it is, how powerful it can be, and then the practical skills. And so that is what Seed School is. We've been trying since day one, nine years ago, to do that in the best way we know how. We've done, I don't know, over 60 or something schools, and we boiled it all down into an online version. It took my whole life of talking about this, and then years of seed schools before we finally sat down. And then we did three iterations of Seed School Online. So it even got better as we kept doing it. And so when you tap into Seed School Online, you're getting, I mean, it's just, and it will get better, you know, it's not, I make no claims, but to its excellence, but um, it's working. I do. And we're, you know, for what we've got and what we're doing, it's working. And so it's really a thank you to everybody that's been part of that and helped and given us feedback because we don't see ourselves as doing this. We see ourselves as a beautiful flower of people opening up all over to how important this is. And we're just part of it and we're trying to do our jobs and, and do it well. So. And you're doing yours well, Perfect. By, thank uh, you. by keeping this, this uh, flame going with Seed School Online. So thank you for that. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. So neverbuyseeds.com. We only have 12 of the bonus seed bundles. So once the 12 of the bonus seed bundles are gone, like I said, about a $500 value, once that's gone, the seeds aren't available from us any longer. So uh, thank you very much this evening for your time, Bill. We greatly appreciate it. And, you know, I always love chatting with you, man. Oh, well, we're we're learning, aren't we? (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for for tuning in. Grow and save and share some seeds and be part of this. It's really a beautiful thing. Yeah. Amen to that and farm out. We'll catch you on the flip side. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.